Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Brett Chisholm. I'm Josh Evans. And on today's episode, I'm discussing a personal flying story of mine that ties into a pretty out-of-this-world news story, and spoiler alert... Brett saw a fucking UFO. Well, let's call it an unidentified aerial phenomenon. And then Josh brings what I'm calling the greatest content monologue to ever grace my ear holes. And these are some gracious ear holes. We are going down a dark and terrifying road full of mutilation, body horror, and demonic possession, along with why it's okay to like that type of thing in a movie like this. Get ready for some dead-eyed action, necronomicology, and a practical effect masterclass with sushi. Because it's time for the modern horror triumphs Evil Dead 2013 and Evil Dead Rising. It's actually Evil Dead Rise. Oh, is it really? (laughs) (laughs) We can just leave that in there. (laughs) Movies, shows, and video games. Podcasts, books, and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. Brett. Josh. How are you? I feel like it's been ages since I've seen you. Hey, I'm still sitting in the same spot. I'm sitting in Cincinnati. I'm growing out this beard because there's not a lot of flying right now. And so I've just been on reserve every day and they haven't called me. And that so beard has grown a lot since two weeks ago when we spoke last. We are in no way recording these shows back to back. I mean, this is pretty good for five days of beard growing. It's pretty good. It's like a, it's more of a two o'clock shadow, but yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> so what have you been up to? <laughs> uh, I probably should have mentioned this to you on the last show, but um, remember uh, about a month ago when I was talking to you, how about I, I blew out the ass on two pairs of pants? Oh yeah, your ass pants. Well, you'll be happy to know that I uh, blew out the ass on the third pair, so now they're all in the trash. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I was hiking around this little uh, this little river, and we were building a fort out of sticks. With I was doing it with my kids, and I go, "Oh, that stick looks a little heavy. Let Daddy get it for you." And I bent down, and right when I bent down, the the belt loop caught on a branch behind me, and it just <laughs> pushed, and it just unzipped again the pants all the way from the the belt loops all the way to basically where the taint is. And uh, mm. then I was stuck out there for like another two hours with a nice breeze blowing through. Like everyone could just see right up in there what was going on. I mean, you wear undergarments, don't you? Well, I was Mormon, so you know it, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Did they make you give back your magic underwear when you became excommunicated from the church? Or is that too personal a question <laughs> off of the podcast? <laughs> I actually never had them. I never made it to that level. I quit long before that was a requirement. Oh, me. man, that's when stuff starts really getting good. So I've heard. Yeah, that's when you get married. You have a uh, it, it's basically like a security shield against infidelity. <laughs> I never made it that far. I would I quit the church, became a sinner, never would have been accepted back. And then here we are today. Thank goodness we made it here to the show. <laughs> I know. Uh, What's new with you, man? How many pants have you blown out this week? Not a single one, but 
Oh, uh, man. I've been spying on a lot of neighbors. My hotel room here. Okay. It's right across this, uh, not across the street, more like, uh, gosh, it's like across the alleyway from an apartment complex. And so I've just been like checking on this one apartment building that has all these plants sitting outside. I've been posting pictures and videos on Instagram. And uh, the other day I saw a guy outside smoking. And uh, that I heard from my buddy that's in town here. He He's also a pilot with the company I work for, Ranj. Uh, we've been on a lot of fun layovers together. And now we're stuck in Cincinnati. So he told me that he saw a girl talking to the guy. So you can tell Ooh. not a lot of exciting things are happening at this moment. <laughs> a human girl? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Cincinnati sounds like it's popping. <laughs> There actually has been some pretty fun things going on like every day in Cincinnati. I just don't do those fun things. I just walk by them. So. Oh, yeah. Kind of like a outside observer of entertainment. Yeah. Like a little bit of a contentologist, but for the real world. Well, no, see, I got to get back to my hotel room so I can uh, study up on my contentology. That's right. Speaking of which, this is the Content Clearinghouse. What do we do here, Brett? That's a great question, Josh. I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> um, so we do want to give the show a little bit of a uh, introduction, a little bit about the format. We usually like to say hi, catch up, and then jump into what we call an off-top or an off-topic discussion. It's usually something that interests us, and we trade off every week. Um, and then one of us will deep dive into some form of entertainment. This could be a movie, a show, a video game, a podcast, a book. Or if you're Josh, it could be some really obscure and strange zombie-related fake uh, <laughs> fi <laughs> fictional alarm video. And uh, so you just never know what you're going to get. But it's content-related. And what we try to do is we want to sell each other and you on consuming our favorite things. We love them. We think you should love them too. And why should you listen to us? Because we're contentologists who got our degrees at Harvard. Don't look it up. It's real and we did it. It is a real thing. Does that about sum it's it up? True. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's perfect, man. Uh, so uh, speaking of which, what do you got for Off Top this week? Oh, buddy. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about this. Ta can't yeah, wait to talk about this. Buddy bomb, unless you're serious. <laughs> Not you like know, me. Like every third word that comes out of my mouth is buddy. I just thought you forgot my name. Yeah. Yeah, uh, buddy Chisholm. That's you. <laughs> so I, I want to talk about this news story, and I'm going to put a link in the show notes. I can't wait to watch this news story develop. But before that, I want to tell you a little bit of a personal story. This happened not too long ago. Um, so this month, my work schedule, actually, it's my year anniversary with this awesome cargo company that I love flying for. I went to Michigan uh, to do my annual training. And then they flew me out to Los Angeles to start my trip. This is how I ended up in Cincinnati. I operated from Los Angeles to Cincinnati. Now I've just been sitting around doing nothing. However, on that flight to Cincinnati, it finally happened, Josh. I saw something anomalous in the sky. No way. I totally did. Uh, something real. I, I mean, yeah, it was something visible. 
I don't know All what right. it, I don't I know what it is. I can't wait to hear this. I can't wait to hear this. Okay, so I've been as it was happening, um I was already like trying to put together the narrative of what I was looking at because it it was confusing. Like I I have seen a lot of things from the sky. You know, I have um I think about 6300 flight hours now, and a lot of that time has spent um especially since I fly international and, you know, this is my, I think, third cumulative year of flying international. So, you know, over the ocean, not a lot of responsibilities in terms of, uh, you know, operating the aircraft. We're obviously up there in case anything goes wrong. We're communicating. We're managing systems. Um, but everything is, is cruising on autopilot and we stare out the window a lot. And I've seen, you know... Uh, the ISS. I've seen what I think was like some strange military craft, but definitely still aircraft. Now this, and I, and you know, I've been following the UFO news. Now it's referred to as UAPs. We've talked about it on the show at length. Um, I think we started uh, yeah. the show right around the time that that first news story broke in 2019 about the uh, go fast and the flare videos. And that's really when I started deep diving into this. So I have been looking for things. I will admit that I, you know, there's a little bit of like an expectation bias or, you know, some sort of confirmation bias. Like I'm, I want to see something strange. I do think that there are very credible sightings of strange things happening. Well, this was... I, I do too. Uh-huh. We, should, we should maybe give a little bit of context though, because we both believe something is happening. But I think that... <laughs> Get your butts out of here. You and your split pants. Oh, man. I can't. It's got nowhere else to go. It's bursting from the seams. But I am of the the mindset that I've seen enough video of blurry blobs on a screen to take those as convincing evidence of anything beyond what I already believe. Like, I do believe there are... I think they are uh, extraterrestrial crafts. I do believe that is happening on this planet. And I believe that there are propulsion systems that are not explainable by the science that we have available to us. But I have not seen a single video that was wholeheartedly convincing to me. And I think that you have a different take on these videos like I think that the go fast video is amazing but also it it's not 100% convincing that this is an alien flying around. So I am very interested to hear what you have to say because if you tell me you saw something I'm going to believe that and I'm going to believe exactly what you say your eyes have seen and I think that that will probably be more convincing to me than seeing a blurry another blurry video on my iPhone. Well, see, the, the, the thing is about those videos that I think is so important is the context of all of that information. I mean, you have, uh, you know, highly trained Navy pilots that um, were, you know, out doing exercises. In one, one case, I think it was out on the West Coast on uh, another incident. It was out on the East Coast. But, you know, perfect visual conditions multiple eyewitnesses that are all trained pilots and it's corroborated on this high-tech radar on these Navy ships. 
And they have this video where it indicates in this like infrared uh, video that it's cold. It's not hot. There's no visible means of propulsion and it's moving very quickly. And they saw it on radar that it's, you know, hovering like 80,000 feet for hours and then zooming down instantly to 50 feet over the ocean. And the uh, government has said that this is authentic video footage. Like, I think it's like all of those things put together. Like, do we do we like would a clear picture be the thing that convinces you? Like, I feel like all those pieces of the puzzle are what was really compelling to me. And that's what got me interested in the subject, because I just feel like the credible eyewitnesses, the radar corroboration and then the government not denying the authenticity of that. I mean, that is significant. Well, the thing that I think is strange is I am convinced. I'm 100% convinced. I was going into this. I was already convinced. But the the thing about all of it that is so strange to me is all that context is more convincing than any single video I've seen. And it is possible to get video, clear video of things flying in the sky on a phone, which everybody has in their pocket. Because I've seen videos like that of people looking up at the sky, zooming in on a plane and filming it. But there has never been in my research, quote unquote research, you know, <laughs> looking at the internet, I've never seen anything that was visually convincing because without all that context, every single one of the video is just a blob on a screen. And I'm tired of seeing that. If there have been this many sightings, I think that video is out there, but for some reason, I feel like that part of it is not making it to us as the as the public. I'm sure, that and I want to see a video like that. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there's a lot of more information that is not available to the public. And uh, I, my news story that I'm going to get into is talking a little bit about that. But first, I'll tell you what I saw. So let's hear it. I want to. We hear this. were. Um, it was just prior to the descent into Cincinnati. It was late at night. It was a very clear night. We were, I can't remember exactly what our altitude was. It was probably around 29 to 30,000 feet. Um, and it was, so the reason that anything was queued up into our um, awareness at all about this were pilots talking on guard. So we, we have uh, frequency 121.5, which is kind of universally the guard frequency uh, you're always monitoring it because if an airplane crashes, it will um, transmit an audio, you know, uh, sign, an, an audio signal, as well as a search and rescue signal on 121.5 and some other frequencies. And so we're, we're constantly monitoring that. It's used for communication and in the event of an emergency. And uh, sometimes pilots accidentally will like do a passenger address on guard. And we keep that on one of our radios while we're talking to the normal air traffic controllers on the other radio. And these pilots are going nuts and they're like kind of goofing off and talking about like aliens and all this stuff. And I'm sure it was just a bunch of bored uh, regional drivers that were, you know, um, goofing off. But, you know, I had to turn it down. I was like, these guys are going nuts. And then the captain points out what they're talking about. And I'm sitting in the third uh, jump seat. So we have the the uh, captain's chair 
is the left side. The first officer sits on the right side. And then there's two jump seats in the 777. So the jump seat that I'm sitting in, I was uh, operating as an international relief pilot. An IRP is what we call it. I'm just like additional crew, basically. And then we have a fourth jump seat or a fourth seat. It's really a second jump seat, but it's behind the first officer, the first officer seat. So I basically had the best view. Like I have kind of the God's eye view of the cockpit and out the out the windshield. And I'm looking at this thing off to the left a lot higher than us. It's I don't know how big this was. So it's very, very difficult for me to make any like accurate uh, predictions as to how far away it was, how high it was, but it looked large and I'm guessing it was like 50,000 feet. So it was definitely above us. I'm guessing it was about 40 miles away. Again, I don't really have any idea cause I, I don't know what it was and I don't know how big it was, but it was basically like a green glowing streak. Like I, the dimensions of it, it was long oh and slender. It was cylindrical and it was a very faint glow. It was completely stationary. And I would say the dimensions were like a thick <sighs> pencil <laughs> and it was aligned like a- with us. We were flying from west to east. And so it, it was pointing west and east and it was, again, just stationary. I probably saw it for 20 or 30 seconds. I knew right away that it was going to be way too faint for my iPhone camera. So I didn't even bother to take my phone yeah. out. But I just thank you. I just <laughs> I just stared out the window at it and just tried to like really look at what I was seeing. We we all saw it in the cockpit. The um, person sitting in the fourth jump seat, his explanation was that it was space debris. Now, I I have never seen like space debris. Like I've seen, you know, shooting stars and things like that. Um, I've seen the Aurora Borealis. I mean, th- this was just very unique. Like I had never seen um, anything like this. And then we just all kind of like chatted about it. We all stared at it and then it just sort of disappeared. Like it sort of like faded into nothingness. So I was it. Uh-huh. Was there any detail <laughs> on it or was it basically like the green streak was the primary detail that you could. That's make the out. that's the only thing that there was. You could see like other planes flying. You know, they have their their white anti collision lights that just the flashing white lights that you see. You see the nav lights, the green and the red. Um, and there was like maybe two or three other planes that were visible flying around. But um, no, it was just like a green. green. Yeah, it's just like a green faint glow that was there. So was his explanation was that it was space debris burning up in the atmosphere is that what he was trying to tell you i think so i didn't ask him to expand on it because i just i don't want to out myself at work as like the weird ufo guy like i at a previous company flew with a guy all pilots would be (laughs) flying around up there all the time i you know so what there's these guys didn't uh the idea of ufo didn't come up to them at all well, it, all the pilots on guard were talking about UFOs, but all in yeah. a sort of a joking manner. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was the only explanation that was brought up in the cockpit. I didn't say a word. I just stared at it and tried to tried to soak it in, try to really take it in. It was kind of wild. It was kind of wild. I was, I was really excited to tell you about it. I was like, this is happening. <laughs> yeah, that is... 
incredible, especially hearing you say it, because uh, with you, I have a lot of context, and I know you're not a bullshitter in any way. Now, do you think that there there isn't a chance it could have been some sort of optical illusion? I mean, dating back to like World War II, pilots have been uh, it's it's been documented that pilots thought they were chasing a stationary object or something that was moving at the same speed as them. And it's like they were flying towards Venus in the sky. Like, is there any chance that it could have been anything like that? Like a weird reflection off of the cockpit glass. It definitely wasn't. I'm guessing definitely not everyone else discussing. Yeah, definitely not a reflection. Definitely nothing like that. It wasn't a planet. Um, I mean, the thing is, is I like I I don't necessarily think it was a UFO or a UAP because I have listened to a lot of content about those things and I've heard a lot of stories about them. I have heard stories about like cylinders, but they're usually like silver or metallic or white or tic tac shaped or you know the classic saucer. I've I haven't heard of like a green glowing long cylinder. So the guy the guy's explanation, I'm pretty sure he was in the Air Force at one point. So maybe he's seen space debris burning up and leaving like some sort of trace of it in the atmosphere. Um, so he might be right. I mean, I it it didn't move. You know, it didn't like zoom away. Um, if I had, but I stared intently at that, waiting for that to happen. Because if that did, then maybe I would have. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, if you saw that, you'd be like, okay, that is a craft that's flying. Right. If it like zoomed, Clearly. zoomed, changed directions, moved. No, it was just completely stationary, just a faint glow, and then it it like disappeared, and I it just like faded away just very quickly. Um, but the reason I don't think it was space debris, like when things burn up in the atmosphere, when you see like a, you know, like a like a shooting star that's like really really bright and like lasts a really long time it it's you still see like a streak but it's not like a stationary streak for 30 seconds you know what i mean like it's that's what and is also it, like weird to me about it a shooting star kind of changes in brightness it it brightens and dims like as it hurt, hits different pockets of resistance in the atmosphere and like things streak off of it especially space debris any video i've ever seen of space debris it's not just one thing there's like pieces of it breaking off as it's coming in yeah so now when you say like cylinder Uh uh-huh was this like a defined it looked like it had like a specific length or what could it have been like a streak of something that was gradually fading away like what do you mean by cylinder like, uh, I definitely didn't have, like, a necessarily a distinct shape. Like, I didn't see any edges. It was more like a line. Like, if you took a highlighter or if you took, like, a cylinder in Photoshop and you blurred the edges and mm. it was really long and skinny, um, that's that's oh kind of what it looks like. Like, it was pretty narrow and it was pretty long. It really, it was like a pencil. Like, looking at, like, a pencil in the distance, but it, if it was, like, glowing and not that solid it was very strange how could man. you how could you tell it was stationary were, oh, I mean, were you moving past it in relation to it no no i mean it was pretty far away like i said and it just it absolutely did not move like you could see like other planes crawling across the sky and uh oh, man i mean if it was something really large and really far away it could have been moving and i couldn't tell yeah. but i again it, it was like really hard to 
Like I really tried to figure out like how high it was, how far away it was. And because it just didn't have, I had nothing to compare it to. It's at night. You don't have any relative, you know, relative objects to gauge the size. Uh, everything else, all my guesses are just guesses, you know? Man, that is crazy. <laughs> oh, I would have loved to have seen that. Maybe they were there to spy on your, uh, your neighbor there like you they're trying to get a jump on you spying on your neighbor across the alleyway <laughs> oh yeah they're just trying to <laughs> check out the plants my human woman has visited him well the the weird thing too uh is this news story that just came out so uh, this comes from the debrief.org i am going to link this in the show notes like all of the cool things that we discuss we like to put our source material out there and uh, give credit where credit's due. The title of this is Intelligence Officials Say U.S. Has Retrieved Craft of Non-Human Origin. This story broke on June 5th. Uh, comes from Yikes. Leslie Keen and Ralph Blumenthal. So this person, uh, his name is David Grush. Uh, he has gone on record as a whistleblower. Uh, the crazy thing about this guy, like he is, uh, he's 36 years old. He's been interviewed now on TV on this on this uh, news program, News Nation. Uh, he is a very credible guy. He's a decorated former combat officer in Afghanistan. He's a veteran of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency and the National Reconnaissance Office. He's served as the NRO's representative to the United uh, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force. So the UAP Task Force, he was on that from 2019 to 2021. And basically, this news story, he is going on record and saying uh, to Congress that information was not provided to him uh, during his UAP investigation. So he was tasked with investigating these unidentified aerial phenomenon that people are witnessing and this sort of soft UFO disclosure seems to be happening. And um, he is saying that not only... Uh, are these things not from Earth? But he's saying that our government has like a dozen of them and they know that these flying machines, these objects, come from a non-human intelligence and they're calling it NHI, non-human intelligence. This comes up oh my again God. and again. <laughs> and um, There's so an acronym <laughs> for it, so you know... <laughs> It's serious. I mean, he's saying that there is a deeply covert program um, that possesses, they possess intact and partially uh, intact craft of non-human origin. So this is like crazy claims. These are like, like wild and crazy claims that this guy is making. So I have a friend in a branch of the government and I'm not going to use his name because I I, um, I I just I'm not sure that he wants me to go there at all. But this person I texted. Don't mention it. I have the same friend. <laughs> Don't mention it. He's a cool guy. So he uh, works in a branch of the government and uh, we like talking about this stuff. He was kind of a skeptic that became a believer and he has a little bit of an inside scoop on this stuff. Um, now, I have uh texted him kind of back and forth i've had in-person conversations on this subject with him well i 
reach out to him and send him this story. Turns out he personally knows the whistleblower, David Grush. <laughs> and he says this guy is a super credible guy. So I personally know somebody that knows the whistleblower. And I mean, he says that the the allegations sound nuts even to him, but it's also in line with rumors that he's heard from other people that he knows and trusts. He says that Dave Grush, the whistleblower, is legit, super sharp, credible, and moral. So kind of a small world. I couldn't believe that I sent this to somebody and he's like, oh yeah, I know all about this. It's my just kind of capped off my extremely strange experience that I had personally. Man, that is incredible. I'm very jealous of your experience getting to see something like this. Finally happened. I mean, I think it's over a decade somebody, of professional aviating. I mean, it's like the wish of everyone like us, <laughs> yeah. especially people that spend a lot of time in the sky. I mean, when I'm flying in a skydiving plane, if I'm in a place where I can look out the door, I'm always looking. Look at the ground. Look up around. Look, oh, there's a helicopter. There's an airplane. Like, you just get used to spotting things in the sky. Definitely. And so, of course, like if I'm flying in an airplane, uh, like a passenger liner, if I'm near the window, I'm looking out the window, too, to see. And I've never seen anything, so I'm very jealous of that experience. And, man, that lends so much credibility to me. As a person that already believed this lens, you having seen something lends so much credibility to it. Coupled with that story, I just wonder when it's going to the, – the time is going to come when it is 100% definitive across the board. Everyone knows this is true because it seems like we are slowly inching our way in that direction. It does and, seem uh, that way. and But, you know, yeah. a lot of people are – like they're so skeptical of everything – the government does support and vouch for um, because all the things that this whistleblower has come out publicly has gotten some stamp of approval that he is allowed to, to talk about this um, which, you know, if you're like me and you do think that things are visiting uh, there are credible stories going back to the 1940s. And that seems like there has been uh, an effort to discredit anybody that uh, you know puts any puts any credence into these ideas, and so it's like yeah. why why now is the stuff like slowly coming up? So there there's a lot of like there's a lot of skepticism out there as to like what the goal is or what the intention is of sharing this information, and so I think that aspect of things is kind of interesting as well. So it's almost like even if they do come out and say something exists, it's like, what, like, can you even trust the information that they're providing? Well, I think it's, it's undeniable that we can't really trust the, the government or any of the any of the basic narratives that were being fed. But I still believe hearing you say this stuff is incredible. I still want to see the definitive video of a UFO though. I know it's out there and I want to see it. I know you do Josh. Me too, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've seen it with your own eyes. Well, I don't know what I saw. And again, it just left me wanting more because it definitely wasn't uh, definitive of anything. Just a, just a green streak across the sky, buddy, (laughs) man. That's awesome. Well, Hey, (laughs) Um, lucky. (laughs) S.O.B. <laughs> well, moving on, uh, 
Do you have anything on your content circuit that you haven't mentioned to me lately? Yeah, I saw Into the Spider-Verse 2. Oh, you did? Oh, I've been wanting to yeah, see have that you so seen bad. It yet? I have not. Oh, man. Is it so it's good? It's definitely... Yeah, I would say the first movie is a more... The, I guess I think the story in the first movie is a little bit more defined. I mm-hmm. mean, obviously, these movies are dealing like with the multiverse, which is a really cool idea, but I also think that it causes a lot of story bloat. But... Uh, I guess I, I guess this one is across the Spider Verse, but it uh, it really improves upon the experimental nature of the visuals. So they do a really cool thing, and when they go to a different universe or a different timeline, like these different timelines have very distinct art styles. Oh, that's like cool. one of them, and they, and and they're kind of defined by like the main colors of the character in that timeline, like spider Gwen or Spider-Man 2099. Oh, these are all things that are in the trailers. So it's not spoiler in any way, but there's really cool, like watercolor style, uh, backdrops in spider Gwen's world. And then 2099 is a lot of red and black and like really harsh lines and everything is like super futuristic looking. So the, the, uh, visual, uh, display of the entire film. I mean, it's like a, it's an incredible overload for your eyes. But I feel like the story in the first movie is a little bit more focused, and the story in the second movie is it's more disjointed and it, it covers a lot more ground. But I think that whenever I, when I watch if I, if I watch them back to back, like I watched the first movie and then like the next day I went and saw into this uh, across the Spider Verse, I definitely feel like the first movie is a little bit more concise. But it makes sense because now they're like expanding everything out and they're setting up future films. But I would definitely recommend it. You would love it. I can't wait, man. I mean, we talked about uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse on this show. It is absolutely one of my uh, favorite movies of all time. It is so good. So I And I it, think both of them... It didn't have a uh-huh. What's Up Danger moment, though. They didn't have a moment that was ultimately defined by like best song in the entire movie. That's something that I was missing from the first movie. You think it, wait, you think it was missing from the first movie? Didn't they have uh no, little, I was missing oh, it in the second, because gotcha. it, you know, the what's up danger moment where he jumps off the, the tower where he truly becomes mm-hmm. Spider-Man in the first film. That was like such an epic moment. Like I've gone back and just watched that scene over and over. There was not a scene that was that powerful in uh, across the spider verse. Interesting. Okay. Well, I do. I think I looked up the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, and both of them got a ninety-five percent. So I'm expecting uh, just as much quality. Dude, you'll love it, man. Especially you brought uh, into the Spider Verse to this show, so I'm surprised you haven't seen it yet. I will. I will. How about anything else? Uh, I'm replaying some games. I'm replaying Metro Exodus, which is a, a game that I talked about on this show, but I'm playing it on my Steam Deck now. And that's a game that's just like super immersive. And I'm surprised how immersed I can still be on a seven and a half inch screen. You know, I've played it before on 42 inch 4K display. And now playing it on the Steam Deck, I mean, it's amazing just to be able to sit down anywhere and play. But I've, I've played it for, you know, like 
an hour or two and then I like look up from the screen like, oh my God, I can't believe, I can't believe what I was just experiencing, how immersed I was. And then I, I look away and then look back and realize this screen is just like slightly bigger than an iPhone. Like it's incredible how good that game is. I think it might be the greatest story driven first person shooter of all time. It's definitely the best I've ever played. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Well, I, I know you don't like, uh, you're not an iPhone game guy. I do miss playing real games, real video games. We had a lot of fun times playing games together. But um, oh, yeah. a great way to kill time for me on the road is playing Pokemon Go. I'm a level 43, so it's nothing to uh, nothing to laugh Ladies. at. Ladies? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you guys have tried to get me to Pokemon Go. We've discussed it here before, and all I was thinking when I was looking at the screen, I was like, man, I could be playing a real game right now. <laughs> this game does not entice me in the least. Yeah. Maybe I'm going to have to get a steam deck or a Nintendo switch or something on the road. Maybe oh, uh, dude, yeah. get a steam deck. We could play together. It's basically a PC in your pocket and we could play together. Do it, Brett. That's the solution to all your problems. Ooh. Every single one of them. Steam deck. <laughs> Can't make out the resolution of what that alien is. Steam deck. All nice. your problems. Um, what about you? Yeah, well, uh, besides that, I have been binging a very popular show right now. It's on Apple TV. Um, and this is like just one of the only streaming services I don't have. And I got it just to watch this show. I just got too many recommendations to watch this from too many people. Um, and it does hold up to the hype. Uh, have you seen Ted Lasso? I uh, I have watched most of it, but a lot of it I watched on and off. But every time I look up at the screen, I was like, oh, yeah, I need to watch this for like the next. It's really good. Yeah, it's, it's hilarious. It's, yeah, it's really, really good. good. Yeah. So really, heartfelt. Really well written, heartfelt, quirky, um, just great characters, developed characters, storyline. I mean, I know you know this about me. I'm not a big sports ball guy. Um, much to the chagrin and disappointment of my dad, I'm sure I've endlessly disappointed him by my lack of interest oh, in, me too. in team sports. Um, but man, I disappoint my wife cause she's into <laughs> it and I'm not. Well, if that's the only thing that you disappoint your wife with, then you're doing pretty good. She's the man of the house. <laughs> but yeah, Ted Lasso, man, that's, that's about it. It's a great show. I've been enjoying that. That is a good one. It just ended too, didn't it? Uh, yeah, but I haven't gotten there yet. I think they got three seasons mm. out, and I just uh, just got into season two. Well, I got a recommendation for you if you have Apple. Oh, you wait. How are you watching this? You don't Apple, have TV. Apple TV. Yeah, no, I signed up for it. Yeah. Okay, so now that you have it, two recommendations. You should watch For All Mankind, which I've talked about before. Yeah. But that I think that's like the flagship Apple TV show, and then also Echo Three. If you're into like uh, military spec ops stuff, uh, Echo Three is that's one of the coolest spec ops shows I've ever seen, and that's All also right. on Apple TV. I don't know what spec go. ops means, but maybe I will after watching it. Special operations, like I don't know, oh, like yeah, yeah. SEALs and Delta Force. Nice. All the you know, cool stuff. Like a yeah, like if you if you're like military nerd shows it's perfect awesome yeah i'll definitely check that out well let's take a quick break and then when we get back we're gonna get into some content Ooh, content clear it out 
All right. Well, Josh, last episode, you mentioned Batman on your content circuit, and then I talked about Batman. And uh, so I'm going to go out on a limb here and say maybe you're talking about UFOs. (laughs) Oh, you wish. (laughs) That would be less disturbing than what I'm talking about. Ooh, you've got something dark for the clearinghouse. Always. I feel like that's all I ever do now. Uh, (laughs) So we talked about a lot of horror on this show. In fact, we did a whole Halloween episode back in the day where we discussed the most disturbing films we've ever seen. Martyrs comes to mind, as well as Howard the Duck for a certain aftermarket contentologist. You know, (laughs) the show Superfan Nick Flip 63 Hold Underwood. Flip six three. He hole. said that was his one of his most frightening shows from his childhood. It 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 it's, uh, yeah, I can see why. Absolutely. <laughs> one of my friends that listens to the show, he like really complimented that choice. He's like, man, I know exactly what he's talking about. Howard the Duck scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. <laughs> so that was a good choice, Nick. Uh, but that show is done before I saw the films that I'm talking about today. Ooh. And what I'm talking about today. Ain't no shit, as the kids would say. You're a kid, right? You say that. <laughs> yeah, you say that every all day. the time. Every day. Yeah. So these movies are equal parts disturbing, strangely beautiful, and modern horror masterpiece. They're special effects extravaganzas coupled with some of the most interesting lore in any movie I've seen in recent history. And I doubt you've seen e- either one of these films, even though I may have recommended them to you in passing in the in the past. But today I'm going deep, like demon in hell deep, into two films that that form a loose duology, which is not a word I made up like I originally thought when I was writing this, but an actual term for a group of two pieces of content, duology. There you go. You learn something new every day, Brett. That is very interesting. Are we duo contentologists? What would would that term be? Well, there's three of us, but speaking of making things up, I'm glad you brought that up, contentology. I think we can actually spill the beans on this show now. Finally, we did not go to Harvard. We made <gasps> the entire contentology. Oh thing. my god! <laughs> we uh, swore an oath to never reveal the truth, I, Josh. I know the jig is thought, up. These, these these people deserve to know. <laughs> but uh, today, I'm talking about Evil Dead 2013 and Evil Dead Rise, which released this year, the year of our Lord 2023. Have you seen either one of these movies? Evil Dead. I think I've seen the newer Evil Dead. Ooh, nice. Yeah, wait. Right, cool. Evil Dead old school is like uh, zo- like OG zombie content, right? Yeah, it's like from the eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I think I I think I've seen it, but it's been a long time. You know, horror is not oh, really man. in my wheelhouse. This I is, know this is a Josh genre for sure. It totally is. But well, we can't really talk about the new movies, Evil Dead 2013 or Evil Dead Rise, without at least mentioning the original films. So the original films, Evil Dead, which released in 1981, Evil Dead 2, 1987, and Army of Darkness, 1992. They were directed by Sam Raimi and starring Bruce Campbell. And these films are classic cabin-in-the-woods horror. Like The story follows a group of friends on a cabin getaway that finds, uh, they find the legendary Necronomicon, which is the Book of the Dead. And this book, when Red releases a Kendarian demon, which is an ancient evil that possesses a host and turns them into deadites. And deadites are these undead monsters that act like one part zombie, one part demon, 
and a whole lot parts freaky horror movie antagonist. <laughs> and we will get deep into the Deadites later because they are awesome enemies. So the original film was extremely low budget but featured pretty great practical effects. And then several years later, Sam Raimi wanted to make a sequel but didn't own the rights to his first film. So he essentially remade the movie with a similar plot but introduced elements of slapstick humor that the original films are now famous for. And these films also solidified Bruce Campbell, uh, Bruce Campbell's character, Ash Williams, as one of horror's most iconic protagonists, with his over-the-top acting and insane dedication to making Ash one of the craziest horror characters ever created. So, is, this, is this where he gets the arm as the chainsaw? Yeah. Chainsaw arm, yeah. God, I love Bruce Campbell. So all this, he's so good. Oh, yeah, he's great. Like all this led to Army of Darkness, which uh, took the series into the Middle Ages and pitted Ash against Army of Deadites in a sword and shield epic horrormedy, which is a combo of horror and comedy, which is a word I made up. Yeah. That's why it doesn't sound very good because I made it up. <laughs> so it's probably horror movie sacrilege, but I'm not really interested in the original trilogy. I have not even seen the mo- these movies. I just breakdowns. And I watched a lot of videos about the the about the background because I got so, so obsessed with these current movies. But I can tell that the originals are not really what I'm looking for in horror. I mean, they're like campy 80s horror comedy, almost Three Stooges level of ludicrousity. But it is horror royalty, so I'm not going to bag on it. I'm just going to say that the original films are not my game. But it is interesting what they set up. The 20, uh, 2013 and 20. 23 films which i consider to be some of the greatest modern movie masterpieces of all time like they come directly out of that original trilogy so 20 years after army of darkness the series was rebooted with a semi-sequel a requel which is a term i wish i'd made up but i'm not that good at wordsmithing like that's a pretty uh that's a pretty well-known term now there's there's been a lot of requels which are like soft reboot sequels to the originals Lot of requels. So, is a is a, a lot reboot, of requels these days. Like a, a second, third, fourth reboot. Do you call it like a re requel, re re requel? Yeah, re 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 re. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got it. So, uh, enter Evil Dead 2013, directed by Fede Alvarez. So this story goes back to the basics. Four friends meet in an isolated cabin in the woods to help their friend Mia kick a heroin habit, and through a series of stupid moves by classic horror comedy morons. They find the Necronomicon, read the incantations within, and release the Kandarian demon. And what follows is one of the most brutal, disturbing horror movies I've ever seen. Like, some of the imagery is just seared into my brain. Do you have any movies like that that are just burned into your psyche? Absolutely. The Hills Have Eyes. Oh, man, that's a good one. The Descent. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a good one, too. <laughs> you like good horror? <laughs> I do remember parts of Martyrs. Uh, the reason I watched that because, because you were like, like you told me not to watch it. That's what made me want to watch it. Yeah, yeah but that gotcha. that one didn't that one didn't like shake <sighs> me to my core. Like it was a great concept. It was a it was definitely a good movie, but it did like the descent. Hills have eyes. Hills have eyes, especially like that. I I, I just rewatched it recently. I know I reached out to you. With a fresh take on it, I was like, "Josh, do you ever think that all these the the antagonists, the people living in the hills, are actually the victims of this movie?" Have you? Do you remember that? 
that I asked you yeah, recently. Yeah. Because <laughs> they well, were just they living are. their life. And then the nuclear testing, like the government doing their nuclear testing, that's really the bad guy in the Hills Have Eyes. Not they the, are victims of that, you could say, but I don't uh-huh. think that excuses all the sexual assault and cannibalism that they get up to in the movie. And that movie is really disturbing. Yeah. Uh, so Martyrs, that movie, there's a big difference between Evil Dead and Martyrs. Like Evil Dead, you can tell that even though it is super freaky, there is like an undertone of like, this is still supposed to be enjoyable. I did not feel that way with Martyrs. I felt like Martyrs was punishing me for having eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you you attempted to like hook me in on that on that experience. I appreciate that. That's a good friend right there. Yeah, maybe if you watched it offload some of the psychological scarring from me. <laughs> yeah. You'll know, help lift some of the weight. Yeah. But even after seeing Evil Dead 2013 several times there are images that still freak me out and i got a pretty solid resistance to messed up horror imagery so the story in this movie is said to take place 20 years after the original film and is a loose continuation of the original story there are several references and throwbacks to the originals but you're not required to have seen them by any means as i am testament to i picked up the series with this movie evil dead 2013 i had no trouble tracking the story as the Deadites slowly take over the cannon fodder characters, we as the audience are exposed to more and more horrific fates. Quite a bit of body horror and self-inflicted injuries I won't go too deep into, although a bit later we will discuss the Deadites in detail. But the special effects in these movies are top-notch, and in this movie, almost no CGI. Oh, wow. What's most impressive... Practical Yeah, in effects. 2013, yeah, Love it's almost that. all practical. Love it. And what's most impressive is that the director, Fede Alvarez, this is his first film. And it shows in a good way. Like, he pulled out all the stops. He uh, he caught Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell's eye with a short online film called Panic Attack that depicts giant robots attacking a city. So they initially entered talks with him about adapting his low-budget online film into a feature. But those talks eventually stalled out. However, they were impressed enough with his the scrappy nature of his film and the high-quality effects considering the non-existent budget of Panic Attack that when they decided to do a soft reboot of the Evil Dead series, they tapped this guy, Fede Alvarez, this hungry up-and-coming director with something to prove, and they laid their baby right in his lap. And my guy, did he ever knock it out of the park? The movie, not the baby. (laughs) Thank goodness. (laughs) But I guess the baby is the movie, so he knocked a baby out of the park. Seems illegal. As a man with a baby, I don't appreciate that aspect of this story. (laughs) So he went on to direct the 2016 horror home invasion film Don't Breathe, which is actually pretty good. I don't know if you've seen that one. Oh, that's like a a pretty good movie. Like uh, they break into a house and the homeowner is blind. Yeah, exactly. It's a pretty awesome movie. And uh, he's also directing the upcoming Aliens film, Alien Romulus, slated for August 2024 release, which I'm pretty excited for. Like, after seeing what he did with this movie, I'm pretty stoked to see a new Alien film that's not, like, some weird Prometheus shit that I don't want to see. I just want to see, like, some original Xenomorphs directed by this guy, Master of Blood and Gore. Prometheus had all 
the fixings of an amazing movie, but it just didn't it, like I had trouble following the plot and I had to like get online and read like what the heck was happening at the beginning with that dude dissolving into the ocean and or into the the stream. Yeah, it was a very strange movie. Yeah, it just didn't tie in well to the original Aliens movies, which is what I was looking for, like, you know, 20 years later or whatever long Prometheus took to come out. I wanted something that really tied into the first movie, and there's not, like, even a real xenomorph. It's some, it's like a different, it's a different species or something. Sorry, Ridley Scott. You blew it. (laughs) There's probably, like, a really good director's cut that explains everything, but it probably all got chopped up in in the editing room. Yeah, to protect us from ourselves for some reason. <laughs> now, the success of Evil Dead 2013 led to a loose sequel, 2023's Evil Dead Rise, directed by Lee Cronin. This might be the one that you've seen. This is said to be the nastiest in the franchise. And Whoa. I think I agree strictly because this is the first time the Deadites are pitted against children in the possessed body of their own mother, no less. So this film follows Ellie, a single mother living in a high-rise in L.A., and when the Deadites come and knock in due to her son's idiotic actions with a copy of the Necronomicon, what follows is a brutal examination of what happens when a parent turns on their children. Have you seen this movie? Is this the one? No, I think I saw the... When did this movie come out? That just came out like Okay, no, I saw the, three months I, ago I saw the, the one in 2013, Evil Dead Rising. Oh, I think I man. saw that. Yeah. I don't remember yeah, much so from Evil it, Dead. Though, Evil Dead's the first one, then Evil Dead Rise is the, is the newest. Oh, okay. So you might have to go back and watch it again after this. I'm going to try to sell you on that. I know you are. That's the show. Yep. So it's kind of an unwritten rule in horror films like this that kids are kind of off limits, but this film throws that right out the window. Like, no one is safe in this film, and it ratchets up the fucked up scenarios from the first film. So. Director Lee Cronin, who had only directed one feature before this, a 2019 horror movie titled Hole in the Ground, expands the lore of the Evil Dead universe. And as a side note, it seems like Raimi and friends really like taking young and upcoming directors and launching them into the mainstream by having them direct these Evil Dead sequels. That's, That's cool. two times. like People, yeah, that virtually unheard of have been given this property and have made it like some of the best horror content in years. That's really awesome. Yeah, it's it's cool. Anyways, Lee Cronin introduces a new Necronomicon. And in an interview, he said that there are actually three unique books out there in this universe. This is a throwback to Army of Darkness where three books were featured briefly. There are three Necronomicons in that book, in that show. So the, the idea is that there are three separate books or possibly even more. And that opens up the door to more original sequels. So his interpretation of the lore states that each of these books releases a different form of the Kandarian demon, which follows slightly different rules and has a slightly different end goal than the original movie. And what follows is a really messed up story about a mother possessed by a demon using her familiarity with her children in a way to try to manipulate them into becoming the next victims of the deadites. I'm getting scared just cool- hearing you talking about this. Yeah, and you're... T- kind of scared at your own shadow so that's not a compliment <laughs> you know i'd love to see like a a modern take on this necro comic-con is that what you called it the necronomicon the necronomicon i'd love to see one that it's like a like um like a 4chan creepypasta yeah. like garbled green text 
on like a crappy website oh, and if sound you, effects turn if you, on <laughs> you log in and if you read it out loud it raises the dead yeah hey you sound like you got you should be you should sam raimi evil dead movie i'm yeah i got a pretty open schedule let me know yeah and you went to harvard <laughs> don't tell anyone but... <laughs> All right, so this series isn't afraid to play fast and loose with its own lore. And in an era of connected universes and strict adherence to everything having to fit perfectly together, it's refreshing to see something with its own distinct lore, but the freedom for the directors to experiment. Or it's at least as refreshing as a franchise can be that has literally used close to 50,000 gallons of fake blood during its 40 years of production. What the heck? What a crazy metric. Yeah, Evil Dead Rise apparently uses it used 1,700 gallons of blood, and Evil Dead 2013 was said to use 20,000 gallons of fake blood. So Lee Cronin of Evil Dead Rise said that they had what was essentially a blood meth lab on set to create all the fake blood needed for the film, and they actually had to recycle it since they started to run out. They used so much that their meth lab couldn't keep up. And this insane amount of blood might give you a hint at kind of the kind of crazy things these movies get up to like the motto for these films this goes back to the original i think sam raimi said this but they use this on the current ones too is the gore the merrier that was oh their, my god that was kind of their their driving line for making the movies that is there not are, my motto i'll tell you that <laughs> not in real life but in movies man that's speaking my language that's exactly <laughs> what i want that's the way to josh's heart but you know what i don't like really super mean-spirited movies like of course i've seen like saw and hostile and martyrs but like the problem with all those movies is that there is really like no fun in them they're all just kind of brutal for brutality's sake and that's not really what these movies do like the brutality in these movies totally feeds into the concept of like what the what this demon is and what it has to do to take over a person which again We'll get into Deadite lore in a little bit. But there's there's a very different feeling from watching something like this, which is gory beyond belief, and watching something like Hostel. Like yeah, that, like Hostel. Just not as mean-spirited. Yeah, Saw, like that, I, like gore porn is kind of what I yeah. consider. Like that is, like I, when I watch horror, I want a good story. Like I want, mm-hmm. you know, the, the tension of the characters and the descent is what really like sets that, movie apart like all the backstory and like that's you know that to me is what draws me in and makes something really scary like saw just like that kind of stuff makes me just really uncomfortable so i'm I'm happy to hear that there's that distinction there and i and i do like i'm i'm definitely somebody that thinks violence and gore like i don't want it for its own sake but i do like when a show uses it effectively to tell the story you know uh, westworld i think is a good example of that uh game of thrones like a lot of people you know game of thrones it has a lot of sex it has a lot of violence i don't think it's gratuitous though i think it's like such an integral part of the storytelling can't tell the game of thrones stories with all that full frontal male nudity it just wouldn't work it wouldn't work you wouldn't you wouldn't have any idea what they're talking about in any context <laughs> without seeing that guy's wiener head you would not know <laughs> exactly <laughs> well yeah that I mean that's exactly like how these movies are sans wiener head but it's basically like they are super gory but it all it's all like a product of the story like torture porn 
it's like they're you know we want to make a scene where this guy gets his hand cut in half with a with a circular saw i want to make this other scene where this guy gets his achilles tendon slit okay now write a movie about around that right but this is more like they already have an idea and oh in this scene this person needs to cut their own arm off okay well that's that's part of the storyline so now we need to make that effect as good as possible gotcha yeah 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 so there are three things that are constant across both of these movies there's a shotgun there's a chainsaw and there are oceans of blood (laughs) And you know it's a good series when those three things, those are your constants. Also, the Necronomicon, the Book of the Dead. And these movies have so much lore associated with them. I love that. Like, So with lore as our guide, I'm going to take a deep dive into some of the more fascinating and well-crafted details of these movies. And the great thing about this is I can go hard in the paint in the lore department and not ruin anything. Like most of this stuff... I'm going to talk about was gleaned after multiple watchings and external research that I did because I was fascinated by the design and the world building at play here. So let's dive in and talk about the Necronomicon and the Deadites, which are the big bad guys of the Evil Dead universe. So right. the Necronomicon, what initially just seems like a cool and scary design, the Necronomicon is actually a powerful foreshadowing device uh, of the fates that will befall the characters in these movies. So if you've never seen a picture of the Necronomicon, it's a book. It's bound in human flesh, and it's written in blood. And each one is on screen. It's a demonic masterpiece. It looks haphazard and messy, but each is an intricately crafted piece of horror iconography. In the original film, the cover was a dried and stretched out human face. I mean, it's kind of cheesy, but it kind of goes with the aesthetic of those movies. And in 2013, the cover is a roughly stitched uh, it's patches of flesh with large, rough twine running through it. And then in the uh, Evil Dead Rise, that book, it features a cover with sharp teeth holding the book together. It's like monster teeth are clasped down on the pages side. Oh, that's and, cool. And uh, the pages, yeah, they both look distinctive, and you can tell they're not the same book from each movie. So the pages are filled with illustrations of people in various states of uh of destruction with wounds inflicted on them like peeled faces and self-immolation and spikes pounded through people's heads oh my god it's all so nasty (laughs) but uh also each book has a monstrous image in it that kind of foretells the kind of final boss the characters will face in each movie and this, the awesomely designed pages of the book are more than just background. The images showcase in graphic detail the body horror that will be inflicted on the characters. And when you realize that that's what you've been looking at for 30 minutes earlier in the film, it's an awesome Easter egg for eagle-eyed viewer. So when you watch the movie and they show the pages of the Necronomicon, you can now you know that's, that's a foreshadowing device. Interesting. I do like when movies kind of pull that little hat trick out. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really clever. And I learned that from watching YouTube videos. And then I went back and I was like, man, I wish I had known that going into it. You know, that it's not really a spoiler because it's definitely there, something that they intend for you to put together. And the Necronomicon actually appeared in Jason Goes to Hell, the ninth film in the in the Friday the 13th epic saga. It's the Game of Thrones of horror. Have you ever seen? Why, why would you? But I have it's not. It's awful. <laughs> but uh, so... 
Sam Raimi loaned the Necronomicon prop to the director of Jason Goes to Hell, Adam Marcus, who used it to imply that Jason's mother, Pamela Voorhees, used it to bring Jason back from the dead, which would make Jason a deadite, which is actually pretty interesting. I really like the Friday the 13th films. Jason Goes to Hell just happens to be a terrible movie. But I wonder how I wonder how canon that is. It is a... Uh, for somebody that's like an Evil Dead fan and a Jason fan, that's a pretty interesting crossover. Nice. All right, so I'll talk about the Deadites. This is like really the star of the show. So the Deadites are, these are the people possessed by the Kandarian demon. And I'm borrowing a bit of lore from the original films, but it appears that they're all connected in some way anyways. So the Kandarian demon was trapped in the Necronomicon by the old ones who are ancient people who battled these demons before the beginning of time. And this is an entry from the, the Kandarian demon wiki. So it says, The being which came to be known as the Kandarian demon existed on the earth eons before documented history, silently watching from the shadows of the dark primeval forests as humanity evolved and claims, claimed dominance over the world. With, unwave- with an unwavering grudge against these monkeys, the demon eventually learned that souls of the most wicked of deceased humans ended up in hell, where they would be corrupted by the evil forces found there. The demon learned to channel these corrupted souls, known as deadites, and unleash them upon the world of the living. Aren't you, nice. are you scared now, Brett? I'm pretty scared. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm definitely not going to watch so, this movie before I go to bed, I'll tell you that. Oh, <laughs> uh, Dude, when I was... When I first found this movie and I started getting obsessed with it, I probably watched it like eight nights in a row before I went to bed, like to the point where it stopped disturbing me. And it was a bell curve. It went disturbing, really disturbing, ultimate disturbance. And then it started to go back down and it became comfort food for me. Oh, my God. I can't fall asleep without my (laughs) evil dead tonight. Comfort food. You're normalizing (laughs) like the most horrifying horror Oh, how how were your dreams? How were your dreams, Josh? Dude, I hardly ever dream, or at least I can't ever remember them. Maybe that's I, a good thing. According to my wife, I thrash around in my sleep and <laughs> oh my flail God. around like a crazy person. <laughs> oh my but God. Uh, I can't ever remember what I'm dreaming about. <laughs> oh <my God>. this, <laughs> this does not sound good. <laughs> you sound like a trauma victim. Uh, yeah, I might be. Might have some repressed Mormon trauma. <laughs> All right, so this is what I find most interesting about them, about this, these films, the Deadites. So the possessions always start with a binding of some sort, like wires or vines or thorns, some telepathically controlled inanimate object that injures the victim and puts them in a compromisable state. Then there's a period of resistance by the host that manifests as sickness and lethargy and self-mutilation before eventually succumbing fully to the demon. When the person actually succumbs to the demon... It comes with a literal fountain of bodily fluids ejected from the from the host. It's like blood or white bile or pee-pee, stuff like that. It's super gross. But you got to prep that body. You make it a nice, cozy place for a demon baby to grow up. <laughs> <laughs> the human body is 90% water. We need to get rid of most of that so the demon has some room to move around. Makes sense. Just science. Oh, uh, yeah. It is science. Yeah. This is a science show. So... Uh, <laughs> Also, the eyes. The the deadites have gold, soulless, yet intelligent and aware eyes. It's the scariest fucking eyes I've ever seen in a monster. I never would have thought golden contact lenses could be so off-putting. But, man, there are... 
thumbnails of YouTube videos that's like the dead eye up close. I'm like, ooh, I can't look at that for too long. Anytime there's like a thing with eyes in movies where they put in like soulless contact, I always think that's like the freakiest horror movie effect that you can do. Like the thing to make a person look the most disturbing is to make their eyes like take away the humanity in them. Well, you know, those are the windows to the soul. I know, dude. Yeah. It's, it's a very convincing trick. Also. What? So wait, when you say the gold eyes, is it like the whole eye or just the pupil or what? Or like not the, the pupil, the but iris. The, the iris? Okay. The iris is like gold orange. It is, Interesting. Man, it is awesome looking. Also, so the the hosts of the, the Deadite hosts, when they move, they have like creaking of bones as the demon is puppeteering their body. Also, there's self-mutilation as a way to make them scary, to make them look more like a horror movie monster. But it also seems like a necessity to weaken the body enough to allow the Deadite to fully take over. Like when a person gets injured in this movie, you know like, oh, now – it's like they have a cut on their body. That's a place like where the the demon can get into them. Interesting. So it's a really it's a really cool plot device. When you see somebody get injured, you're like, oh man, this isn't gonna be good. Like just a little minor injury by another deadite, and you're like game to be possessed. Wow. So the demon takes a sort of barely restrained joy in the terror it's causing. Like the deadites are constantly suppressing a grin or a laugh as it tries to lure out other victims. Cause got to get those tasty souls, and you got to make it. You got to make it seem inviting if you want <laughs> the former friends of this body to come in within range of being dead eyedified. So they're they're kind of making the host seem like they're having fun or that they're doing okay, despite having no. Like it's more like and- no. It's more like a person that you know has like really bad intent, but they're putting on like a happy face, but it's a mask. Like the evil keeps like creeping through. It's really cool acting by the by the actors. God, that sounds horrifying. So the, it's good. <laughs> so the human mind will occasionally poke through, either as a resistance to the deadite or a ploy by the demon to lure in more victims. And they retain the memories of the host, and they use that against the other victims. Or you know, like saying personal things that only the possessed victim would know, like in an attempt to lure people out of hiding. It's very insidious. Like they're toying with their victims. They're not just going for the easiest kill, but they're trying to be as scary and intimidating as possible. So that kind of implies then that the host's consciousness is still intact, but can't like has no fact, kind of like a locked in syndrome situation. Like the awareness is still there. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, you can't really tell if the deadite is using the human's mind as a way to like trick other people or if it is the human occasionally like breaking free. Interesting. And that's another really good instance of acting because it's very ambiguous. Mm-hmm. It's not just like they were told, oh, now you're the human, poke through. You know, every single instance you're like, oh, well, there's, there's they sound and look and they're acting exactly like the original victim. And then in the next scene, it's like the dead-eyed is out in full power. So it's, it's a really cool... Uh, dichotomy and it seems way deeper than you would expect from like a traditional horror movie hmm. all right so i i mean i've never seen a, a movie that i think more accurately captures the feeling of what it might be like to be, to battle a demon but all of this adds up to amazing special effects so evil dead uses almost no cgi evil dead 
uses CGI, but very effectively. Like, it's hard to tell when and where it's being used. That's the greatest compliment you can give to a film about CGI. And uh, there are certainly creatures in Evil Dead Rise that could not have been created without it. But some of my favorite scenes... So there's a, a few awesome practical effects from the first movie. One effect is a character sawing their own arm off with an electric uh, electric cutting knife. And I hate it that. looks so real. I hate the way it. they did it. So the character's sitting up against like a uh, up against like a cabinet and they built like a relief into the cabinet so the arm, the original arm could be back inside the cabinet and then they built a fake arm that's full of like fake meat and blood and all this stuff and then the actor actually saws that arm off. So it's you're not seeing like an effect of the of the uh, the knife cutting through something fake. Like it's actually like an a electric knife that's on, it's vibrating, it's cutting through actual meat and blood packets. So good. This and is going to be effect. a movie that I'm going to have to tell myself this is just a movie <laughs> as I'm watching the movie. Do it. Got to see this. <laughs> I I can't wait to hear your thoughts on it. Ugh. You watched Martyrs. This is not as bad as Martyrs. I'm telling you, it's more fun. And so that makes that makes it all in a different context. Another effect, a character pulls their own arm off. It's trapped under something. They pull their own arm off. And the way they did this, so they built a fake arm and they filled it with, they bought a bunch of sushi and they filled it with sushi. <laughs> so as the arm is getting ripped off, you can see actual meat like stretching to its tensile breaking point and splitting apart. Oh, man. It's oh, so my good. gosh. It makes me wonder, like, how You're enjoying this actually... too much. <laughs> <laughs> I just love special effects like this. Like, I'll admit, I always find it a little strange how much I get jazzed for movies like this, like absolute ultraviolence, almost to the point of being comedic and how insane it is. But I'm just, like, such, a, like, an effects fan and – Horror movies are usually effects extravaganzas, and these, I think, take it further than I've ever seen a movie go. Like, everything is so much more convincing. And in a movie like this, you know, the effects are great, the story is good, and then the lore is all so easy to buy into, the demonic lore, even for somebody like me that usually hates demon shit. Like, usually there's too much religion but in these films, there is nary a religion to be to be found, and that is exactly how I like my religion. Nary. Well, that's that's why they got uh, possessed. They they needed a little Jesus in their life. That's right. Yeah. So maybe the next movie will be all about Jesus. <laughs> that would really turn it around. You know, it really save the franchise. <laughs> but these type of movies make me glad that movies exist. And I found the best way to watch them, at least for me, first watch through. Sit back, enjoy every detail and every character moment. Subsequent viewings for Evil Dead skip to 25 minutes and 2 seconds. That's where the crazy shit starts. And for Evil Dead Rice, skip to 29 minutes and 52 seconds. That's where the crazy shit starts. And then dive right into the mayhem that makes these movies so gosh dang rewatchable, as they say in <laughs> Texas where I'm from. And when, when the gruesome shit really starts popping off in each movie, just... For you, Brett, just remember, it's just a movie. These are just special effects, buddy. It's just a movie. It's just a movie. It's just a movie. It's just tuna getting ripped in half. (laughs) So (laughs) these are the types of movies, especially Evil Dead 2013, that made me scared to turn my back on dark places in my house. And that is not something I feel very often. 
I feel like most horror inoculates you against that kind of thing eventually. But after watching this movie, it might have been that it was two in the morning and I was supposed to be sleeping. But I would get up like, oh, I need to get a drink. And every dark spot in my house just like freaked me the shit out. You know, like when you're trying to climb out of the water and you feel like there might be some big creature that's about to grab your leg. You know that sensation like when you're a kid? That's how this movie made me feel about dark places in my house. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Dude. So I had this realization. I always thought I hated ghost and demon stories because they seem so divorced from reality. It's something that could never happen, which is very presumptuous of me as a human with no real information about anything outside of my own little slice of reality. But I realized lately that those types of movies are the only kind that really scare me. Like I always believed that the idea that something could really happen is what made it frightening. But now I realize that that sense of non-reality, that bizarre sense of insecurity based on these types of outlandish scenarios are far more terrifying in my mind. And these types of movies usually have elaborate and original sound design and editing that are so off-putting. It's not very often that a movie makes a convert out of me, but I'd say that the new Evil Dead movies have officially converted me into a demonic possession fan. And that, Brett, as the kids say, ain't no shit. (laughs) Oh my gosh, Josh. That might have been one of the best uh, contentologist uh, monologues that I've ever heard. (laughs) I, I am... I mean, you've convinced me. I'm going to have to watch this duology, but I am absolutely terrified. I think I'm going to have to watch the first one like in the middle of the day on the elliptical on my iPad. The smaller the screen, the brighter the surroundings, the more I stand a chance of not scarring (laughs) my mind. Well, dude, if you can watch Hills Have Eyes and you watched Martyrs, these movies are not that intense because they're not as mean-spirited it's crazy but there's always like a little underlying tone of like oh yeah you're supposed to be enjoying this movie all right interesting interesting well gosh josh i really appreciate you bringing that uh to the show evil dead so it's evil dead and evil dead rising but the evil does the Uh, evil dead 2013 evil dead rise Evil Dead 2013, Evil Dead Rise. Well, thanks, Josh. Really appreciate it. And thanks to all our listeners for tuning in. Um, We really appreciate having you. Uh, I hope you like horror content because Josh loves horror content like he likes a hole in his pants, uh, which seems like a lot. So make sure that you... I don't like that. That's an accident. (laughs) Uh, That's what he says, at least. Well, make sure uh, to keep tuning in. We're trying to bring uh, at least one episode a month to you, maybe more often than that. Um, Don't forget we have uh, some socials, Instagram, the Content Clearinghouse. We have an email, contentclearinghouse at gmail.com. If you like the show, if you have some recommendations for us, we love recommendations. We love good content. As long as it's good content, feel free to bring it to us. And we will uh, see you next time on the Content Clearinghouse.